Well, hello again, friends. Welcome to the Make 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 podcast episode. All right, everybody. Welcome to episode eight of the Make 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 podcast. Today with us, we have Zach Zlatik. Uh Zach, can you tell our listeners about yourself? Yeah. So uh, my name's Zach. I've been running a video production company uh, for the last six years, basically since the time I've been out of school. Living in Austin for that amount of time too. I'm uh, one of those creators who's super blessed to actually have my wife run the hard part of the business, <laughs> and I get to do just the creative. But um, yeah, grew up as an athlete, wanted to be a professional baseball player, like a lot of kids, and um, fell into loving cameras um, after failing in that baseball life in college, and uh, never looked back. It was an awesome transition and. Um, it's crazy that I get to kind of make stuff for fun and have people pay me money for it. And I, you know, it still kind of blows my mind to this day. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel you. It, I, I didn't, I didn't realize you had that, that athletic, it makes sense that you had that athletic background. Um, but I didn't know that. How far did you get, uh, with baseball? I played two years in college. Um, that's legit. Yeah, I mean, it's still, still a big part of my life as far as, you know, still fan of sports and that sort of thing. And Still actually written up on my wall right here as I look up. You know, I got called Major League Baseball client by July, which pre-quarantine was actually looking like it may happen. So that's still, you know, part of my passions and love is sports, athletic, you know, and fitness. And that's actually where we we met. Right, right. And uh, there you go. Full circle. Yeah, no, actually, my my dream, my original dream for doing photos at all was... You remember in Sports Illustrated back when that was still a magazine and you would, <laughs> yeah. you would open up the, the, those double trucks that were leading off that leading off section. And it was just the most beautiful sports photography from around the world every week. And honestly, that was, that was my hook into, uh, that was my hook into photography was, was that. Yeah. That's so cool. One, I mean, you follow that. You're still, you're pretty much doing that. Yeah. I yeah. mean, these days with a little variety a little mix in of <laughs> everything else you're doing too yeah but no it's i get bored easily awesome. <laughs> yeah i know i find that that too it's like there's so many people who you know what to follow them for and know what to expect which is amazing like establishing that niche is so important but i think you know you and i are really similar personality wise i have to do something new like i want to do something i, I see somebody do VFX work. And I'm like, Oh, I got to learn that I want to do for, you know, maybe I'll use it for a project, but I, I couldn't put myself into one category and do that forever. It's got to be, you know, whether it is it's stuff with cameras, that's the, the niche, but it's like everything and every, you know, every industry within that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tell the story a lot that, um, I, you know, my, my, my business started in 2009, <laughs> which, you know, good economic yeah. times. Um, yeah. and, and I had to diversify. There was so little work going around. I had to do a bunch of different things just to survive. Um, part of it, cause I like doing a lot of different work. Um, but you know, I, I was just talking to a friend of mine yesterday, like if all you did was weddings right now, would you even have a business, right? If right. you didn't have that diversity, what would you be doing? Like, I don't, I, yeah. I don't even know how to start. Yeah. Maybe you got to have some wedding only photographers on here next just to ask them yeah, <laughs> to see because yeah, it's, it's kind of like that on a mini scale for a lot of creatives right now, right. You know, needing to pivot. And 
I mean, now I'm, you know, really happy to say it taught us, you know, there's been a lot of positives from the pandemic and as far as like learning what to, how to adapt, you know, the business, but, uh, yeah, starting in 2009 is obviously (laughs) a challenge kind of in itself, but, uh, it made me, it it made me hard to kill. It made me hard to kill. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think that's, that's the goal, right? Yeah. Yeah, Be able to, I mean, I, you know, I always talk about it because it's the same in my daily life, not just the business, but it's like, you know, jack of all trades, you know, no one says the second half of that, that phrase, but master of none. And, uh, you know, so it's like, it's hard to, to try to be so good at, at a lot of different categories within photo video, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) wife came in the background. Yeah. I saw Kelly. Um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, I mean, I absolutely love that, you know, trying to challenge myself with different, you know, industries and, and capturing different things and people and product, you know, it literally, you know, we were because of the pandemic shooting, you know, DJ turntable product video with green screens. And then otherwise we'll be, you know, sprinting around action sports people, you know, a different day. So love that. Yeah. So before we get too far, where, where can people follow your work at? Well, double Z productions on most platforms and then uh, double Z is me on Instagram. Um, but yeah, we're, you know, posting every now and then, um, kind of like the behind the scenes stuff we've been getting more in, into sharing just cause people have had a little bit more of a desire to do that. But, um, yeah, we have an interesting relationship with the, uh, the stuff we, we share because obviously it's, you create stuff for social media and for brands to be sharing, but yet it's a totally different part of your business. It's another business in itself to share, your own stuff on social media. So, you know, go kind of like through waves of like really having a strong desire to share our stuff on social and kind of like back out of it, just kind of like help tell the story for, for other brands. Yeah. Long format answer to your (laughs) question of working. No, it's a great answer. It's a great answer. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I always struggle with that too, of like, do I share the finished work? Do I share work in progress? Do like, what do people actually want to see? Like, I don't, I don't really know. I just kind of do and hope it works. I don't. Yeah, I, totally. Yeah. And, and same thing. I mean, you have, a, you have so many cool techniques. I feel like, are you speaking to other people that are in our industry? Are you talking to the layperson who would hire you to make them look that good? Um, you know, for fashion or, or portrait. Um, so you can take it in so many different directions. Obviously us as like the camera nerds, like I want to know, how you lit that scene. I want to see the next, you know, swipeable picture literally be your diagram of where your lights were placed. But like the people who want that photo hung up in their wall, they don't care about that whatsoever. So yeah, yeah you guys, you just got to do it for you. Whatever you love to do and yeah. love to share, I guess is the point. That, that's funny. You bring that up. You know, we've done, I've done over 200 weddings and I always tell the story of I've never once had a wedding client ask me what ISO I was shooting at. Oh Yeah. So good. And I never had them once care that I was shooting at 3,200 or 6,400. They care about, did you make me look good? Did you capture the moment? And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you get one camera geek every now and then at a wedding, but they're half joking asking you, right? Yeah, I had, yeah, I did have one. They're like, what? He started asking me like what file formats we're shooting in, but he does like TV production. I was like, okay, well that's fair. Uh, Right, right. But it was just more of a curiosity. It, It wasn't a... It wasn't a qualification. It was just a curiosity. Yeah. 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 It is interesting. The stuff you're sharing and like you want that legitimacy to for other people who are 
doing the same thing as you, not the people who are paying you. Right. So, so it is interesting to, you know, you're basically like, if you're really interested at like, you know, shooting it on a red versus like literally a Sony camera that can almost fit in my pocket. It's like, it's more for like showing up and looking legitimate and having a big setup, whether it be at a wedding or like a video production shoot, but like showing an end product to even someone who kind of does know what they're talking about. If they run a business, they're like indistinguishable a lot of the times, you know, good photography and good video. And I actually, that's kind of like more of my favorite since we do have kind of like a more mobile, obviously smaller team and kind of run and gun style and set up like for people to see that and like their jaw drop when they're like, you guys charged only this much. You were two people and you were shooting that on this, you know, and it's like stands up to a lot of stuff that's, you know, six figure <laughs> commercial style stuff. So yeah, it's fun to kind of challenge that, that previous norm. I, I love that. I love that. I, um, <laughs> when we're shooting weddings or corporate events or whatever, I always get a, and it's always an older guy. I don't know what, it's always a guy. It's older. It's usually yeah. like an older guy. And he'll come up to me and like, we have decent gear. And he's like, oh, well, you're getting good photos because of that gear. And I'm like, cool, give me your camera. He's like, what? I was like, here, you take mine. I'm going to take yours. And in 15 minutes, let's compare. What I don't tell him is that I took the trigger off my camera and I have all my lights set up. And so like, I'll take like his Canon Rebel and I'll throw my trigger <laughs> on it so I can still use my lights. And honestly, I get about the same, right? It's, you know, once you're lighting like that, it all looks about the same. Yeah. And then I give him all of my high end gear. And after 15 minutes, I'm like, so what'd you get? He's like, man, I just, I, uh, I don't know. And I showed him the pictures on the back of his own camera and that like, they almost can't understand what happened. And I'm yeah. like, I'm like, so was it the camera? And they were like, no, it wasn't the camera. You can just like see their shoulders slump as they walk away. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the Indian, not the arrow, right? It's right. so fun to obsess over gear, yeah. especially when you're sitting at home in quarantine. That's all you're doing is browsing Amazon. But <laughs> it's, yeah. I love watching, I mean, you know, now my feed is so dedicated on Instagram to showing me all this camera gear and people creating all this wild stuff during quarantine and so many like crazy creative people that are like, putting their iPhone in like tiny little like shopping cart toys and like using it as sliders and dolly and all the stuff that like, if you just saw the end product, you'd be like, wow, that's like really well done. And then you see someone literally like pulling a string <laughs> to bring their iPhone closer to, for like a slider shot. It's like, I think you don't need any gear. <laughs> yeah. Once you know the techniques, you can make whatever gear you have work for you as long yeah. as you know the techniques. Honestly, yep. any camera made in the last five years, you can make sellable content with easy. Yeah. Easy. 100%. If you, if you know the techniques. Right. Yeah. No. yeah. And that comes with the man hours though. I mean, it doesn't come easy, but easy in that it's like, I mean, the process is fun for sure. I mean, right. hopefully that's why you're still doing it. Right. But yeah. It's, you know, a lot of people are asked, you know, how do I make that kind of stuff? How do I do this at and throw that transition? And it's like, well, a lot of it is just like messing up a lot. It's like, I, you know, you can't give somebody else the, those man hours that like, you didn't realize looking back how many you've put in, but like, you know, a lot of times it's six, eight hours a day, just staring at the same timeline or Lightroom or whatever it may be and trying stuff that looks terrible, you know, making people's skin look super red or, but then you kind of figure out and adapt your own style and then realize that those man hours pay off. 
Yeah, I always joke. People are like, man, your photos look so good. I'm like, yeah, I only show you the good ones. Like, of course, out of <laughs> out of a thousand photos that I take, I might share one. Yeah. And they're like, but the, that looks good. I'm like, yeah, but it took me 999 times to get it. Like, it's not yeah. it's not like I just take one frame and that's all I shot. Yeah. Right. Heavily curated on set and when you're at home, <laughs> yeah. home by yourself. Well, and with video the stuff that goes on afterwards when you're at home, you just, you know, people just don't realize. I think the layperson might not. The back end work, right? That's, I mean, uh, arguably for a video, especially more important than <laughs> oh, yeah. what you're planning to shoot and what you end up shooting. Yeah. I mean, out of a, you know, for you, out of a hundred hours of video that you film, how much of that do you actually show? Oh yeah, of course. Well, especially because no one's attention span is long. It's like, you know, 60 seconds. It's like a, a long cut for stuff that we're doing, at least for brands. So yeah. And then <laughs> I'm not shooting anything. I'm not shooting a hundred hours of anything at this point either, just to save my life. Right. It's like right. the shoot to edit is, is lifesaver. You need to for your sanity. Yeah, no, absolutely. So the, the name of this podcast is make, make, make. So we've kind of been talking about the first thing, right? Which is what do you make, right? What are the things yep. that you make? Um, yep. so tell, tell people just a bit more about kind of what all double Z does. Yeah, no, for sure. I think the very generic answer, most creators will say that, you know, they love to tell great stories and I'm no different. Um, I just kind of never had that elevator pitch dialed until it's like, I kind of had a body of work that I could then as an outsider look into and be like, Oh, this maybe is kind of what I think I do. But we are kind of bread and butter is, you know, producing, I think like in, I guess it's, it's a variety of emotion, but like just anything emotion evoking is really just what I love. So it's like, you know, currently I'm working on a piece, like a passion project for a poet to do, you know, there's a lot of protest and, and angst and crazy stuff going along. I mean, in the world, there's some crazy stuff in general. We're doing that. That's like pulling on the heartstrings. And then, you know, next week we'll be making stuff that's like hopefully in a couple months, like hype edits to like prep people and get people pumped up for, you know, Major League Baseball coming back and then stuff that's like more commercial driven. So it's a long variety, but I just love telling good stories, making people feel something, I think is the main theme throughout everything. But the majority is stuff for brands um, that lives on social media and the web. Right. So let me ask you the next question then is, who are some of your visual inspirations? So who are some Ooh. of those other creators that, that inspired you or that you took something from or, you know, that, that kind of like move you? It's a great question. A lot of them, man, I think everybody is like a copycat a little bit, right? You kind of have to be, that's kind of art, but to name drop a few, if people are interested in looking and think there's a lot of younger people that are absolutely destroying it on social media, like the Peter McKinnon and Casey Neistat are the big ones on YouTube that I grew up, you know, idolizing and their work ethic and seeing what they're doing. There's a lot of dudes that are solo filmmakers on Instagram. There's like, um, the Rory Kramer's of the world, Matt Como, these guys, you know, or just like everything they put out. It's like, you don't see the behind the scenes of how much editing they're doing, but it's like everything that's ever posted just blows your mind. So this, that'd probably be a few. And they're kind of in the like music genre. Um, and then like high end brand, that sort of thing. Okay. 
any like Hollywood filmmakers or like directors that you love what they do or? Yeah, you know, I, I'm one of those guys who makes videos for a living, yet there's so many classic movies that I need to see and haven't seen <laughs> that like actual like standard side of filmmaking i'm like still catching up on honestly it's more the run and gun type people who found videography really more than filmmaking i mean there is a little bit of a difference and interesting yeah so it's not like a big goal of mine to make feature films and i'm not really as knowledgeable as perhaps i should be in that that industry and so i'm not looking up to i love going you know watching great movies but um, yeah, don't like follow the careers of, of those big budget filmmakers. No, that's cool. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. Well, I think it speaks to the fact that how much actually it's one of the reasons I started this podcast in general, which is how fast things have changed and right. the different ways you can get your stories out now. Yep. Right. It used to be, if you wanted to be a director, you either had to work on music videos, commercials, TV, or Hollywood. Like that was, that was it. Right. And you had to have somebody with a lot of money to produce that. Yep. Right. I mean, and now it's not that right now. Right. Now there's, Oh, you want to make cool things with your iPhone and post them to Instagram. You can make a living doing that. You yeah. Want, you want to have a huge YouTube following or Twitch following or mixer or whatever. Fa you know, Facebook videos. I, my wife follows some, some Facebook creators, you know, they just post like, it's a guy sitting in his car talking. Yeah. But they resonate with an audience and I bet he makes a living doing it or at least supplements his living doing it. Right. That's a new yeah. thing, right? That's only existed right. in the last 10 years. And so, oh, 100%. and so part of this podcast is exploring what people are doing to monetize their work so that they can keep doing it. Yep. So my yeah, for sure. So what ways are you monetizing your work outside the traditional client pays me? Well, it's a good question. That's still a majority of our work. And one of our biggest goals for this year was to kind of get um, residual income and, and passive income started. But I wanted to go back a little bit just because, I mean, it, it just still does blow my mind. Like I am for sure one of those people who's, you know, I'm a graduate of YouTube University, hmm. um, you know, no film school. But, I, you know, I came out with an economics degree at UC Davis and was playing with really just GoPros at the time and borrowed my friend's Rebel to, like, you know, start taking photos and figuring that whole thing out. But legitimately, like everything besides this same age, you know, mentor type of mine and the Internet is like that was my teacher. And I was just I tell people all the time, like, I'm so lucky that I was born at this time. That's a big part of, you know anyone's success story, right? Um, I think it's one of those Malcolm Gladwell books, but uh, it's crazy what you can <laughs> call yourself an expert on after basically teaching yourself from other people on the internet, you know? <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I, I come into it. But um, yeah, so the residual income, we, um, my wife wrote this incredible ultimate filmmakers business guide last year, which was like a big um, focus of ours besides just our main paid projects, because yeah, the goal is to be shooting what you want all the time. Obviously there's that balance in taking projects that pay the bills, um, in that standard, the, and the dream job being something you're unbelievably passionate about and they're paying you money for it. Um, but that's not every job. Um, but the goal is to be shooting that kind of stuff all the time. And 
perhaps supplementing that with other sorts of things. So we had a pretty cool opportunity to share that business guide with like uh, 12 other creatives that have um, products per se and uh, bundling them together and giving it for like a lower price for the quarantine. So that was one of like the moments that we realized like this is kind of doable as like a supplemental income. And um, that's been super helpful. It's been very popular on the, on the internet for create like solo creators of our type to be, you know, selling everything from $5, you know, LUTs and presets to, you know, what we value as like a higher dollar item for someone who's about to invest in themselves as a creator for our business guys, like, you know, 75 bucks or whatever it may be. But, um, yeah, I've been doing that sort of stuff. Been getting really heavy into the stock footage the last uh, few weeks just because we've been sitting at home and got all this gold sitting on hard drives. So you might as well, you know, try to share it with the world and see if you can make some money doing that too. So yeah, I've been a couple ideas, but yeah, for the most part, we put most of our effort still into the, the paid projects and adapting what needs to be created for different brands. So lately we've been doing a ton of virtually produced events that usually live as, you know, physical parties that now have to be online. So kind of navigating like what that would look like, how to actually keep people interested while sitting in their, you know, kitchen or living room and um, totally different landscape for us versus like going to film those interviews live and, and uh, create an interesting product for people in person. You know, that interaction is so different. So, so yeah, that's been a few things that we've been working on. Yeah, that's interesting. So y'all, y'all basically have a, is it an ebook then that, that you're talking about that y'all created the, the filmmaker's guide? Yep. Full ebook kind of with like contracts, templates, that sort of thing. But then just like a lot of actionable stuff that basically we learned from screwing up, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I tell people all the time, but like, yeah, just listen to me. Cause I've already done all the mess ups and like, just right. make it easier on yourself. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you where the sand pits were, right? The, the quicksands over there, the, the ravines over there, here's the vine to grab onto. Uh, 100%. And that's basically all, all our, you know, any video contract we send is now it's just like, how many times we've got burned in different areas <laughs> and that all lives in one place now so that it never happens again. So you almost have to go through it rather than like, yeah. you know, we give that away and explain like the different sections and why um, it's important to have certain like clauses and every creative goes through that struggle though. It's almost better if you learn it yourself and realize like it means a lot more to you if you get screwed over in a certain way and then kind of have it and to save yourself from any future problems. Yeah. It's hard to explain to somebody how hot fire is until they burn themselves once or twice. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I always see like signage and, and contracts. And you always want to like, I see that that's in the contract. That must have happened to somebody, right? You see a sign oh, somewhere. Yeah. It's like, watch out for that third step. It'll break. And you're like, I bet that third step breaks. And somebody's probably already fallen through once or twice. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that's funny. Um, where, where are you uploading stock footage for? Like what, what platforms? There's a great, uh, new to me. Um, it's been around for a while, I guess, platform called black box. So they have partnerships with like the five main, uh, video stock footage sites. It's like pond five Shutterstock, Adobe stock, Vimeo stock. Um, I might've missed one, but, uh, less work for the creative you upload, to this main portal and they distribute to all of those partners. And then they like take a little bit of an extra cut on top of that, which we're more than happy to do rather than have individual accounts with all five and figure navigate that. So 
they did a good job of making it attractive to creatives for you know ease of use. But since everybody can't shoot, you know, especially early on in the quarantine, they uh, started restricting the amount of uploads because they had so many wow. new people join. So there's like no more referrals, way harder to get approved and can only upload like 10 clips a day, that sort of thing. So wow. Kelly's doing metadata keywording for 10 clips a day, probably like an hour a day for yeah. the foreseeable future. Yeah, that's one of the things we have. I, I've been submitting to Adobe Stock for the last, I don't know, 15, 18 months, I guess. Yeah. And, and have you had success with it? Uh, I mean... Yeah. I, yes. I mean, it's been okay. We've made, I think as of this morning, I've made $421. There you go. But I did the work and I maybe upload like once a month, maybe like five photos. So I figure on average, however many photos I have uploaded will make a dollar a year just on average. Now, yeah. obviously, some of like one of my files is like half my downloads. It's a really popular one. Um, but on average, for every photo, just figure a dollar a year. Well, I only have like 200 photos uploaded. Um, but the thing about it is that it accrues. And so in year one, if you have 200 uploaded, you'll make $200. And then if you keep that pace, right, 200 photos a year, then the next year you make 400 plus the 200 you made the year before. Then the next year you make 800 plus, you know, the 200 plus the 400 you made. So it, it is not a short-term thing. Um, no, not at all. And that's why I chose Adobe because I figured they weren't going around. They weren't going anywhere. Uh, and with their integration into the Adobe suite, it just kind of was a no-brainer. Um, you know, I don't, I don't specifically shoot for stock, um, but it's just kind of going through. Like uh, in 20... 2011 or 2012, I'd rented a plane and shot downtown skyline stuff. And I wasn't that good at post-production yet. Mm. And so I went through and I was like, Oh, these would be cool. And so I went through with like modern processing and I got a bunch uploaded and they just got approved this week. So, you know, just going through my archives and like, Oh yeah, I can, I can make this look a little better or I can clean this up or, or whatever. Um, you know, I, who knows? Who knows what it'll make? But it's making me more than not doing it. Right. right. Yeah, it's it's the wrong term calling anything passive income because it usually <laughs> means it's like a ton of work up front. Yeah. And that's what, you know, we obviously discovered with the business guide and with the stock footage. But, you know, you look back and, you know, have an end product that's like, then it can live on as like a little bit passive. But, you know, make no mistake, it's definitely a lot of hours up front and hard to calculate. It's like, yeah, we've made one sale on our stock footage after, you know, uploading for the last couple of weeks, which is the curation of, fine, you know, mining all these hard drives and selecting and then color correcting is like, you know, we value our work at a lot higher of an hourly rate than what right. it's currently calculated out to. But yeah, it's just the promise of well, there's you know, that, potentially working out. Yeah, there's that old proverb, right? The best time to, to have planted a tree was 20 years ago. The second, right. best, the second best time to plant a tree was today. Yep. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. So you might as well hop on it, especially if it's you know projects are slow or it's just a productive thing to do. And I kind of tend to over obsess over trying to be as productive as possible at all times. It's like you know usually I'm at fault for trying to do too much at one time, but I think that's a good way to occupy the time. That like yeah, you don't 
you know, there's no guarantee you're going to sell anything, but it's just another one of those things as a creative. That's like, if that's what you do and you have a lot of access to this type of stuff, it's like just another way to, to get your stuff out there and maybe make dollars off it. Well, and I think it speaks to two things though. One, and I want you to talk more about this, but one, you treat your business like a business. Yeah. So that's one, but two, you have enough infrastructure in place to where you have access to the things you shot one year ago, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, and having, having a backup plan and having your files live in a place you can access so that you can have access to, as you put it, the gold on those hard drives, right? Yeah. 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 100%. I think there's a lot of uh, creatives who operate in different capacities and some call this themselves freelance and some call themselves, you know, a production company. And it's like, you can say whatever you want. They all sound super f- fancy and great. Um, we do <laughs> probably say that like, yeah, we run a video production company. And, you know, sometimes that has this facade of like, Ooh, you must have a studio and lots mm-hmm. of gear and all these people. And like, I'll let people think whatever they want. Um, cause they can see the end product and maybe think that, but we've always kind of treated the business as a business. Um, you know, I think photography and videography are a little bit different in that way where, um, a lot of, you know, you, you could be Josh Baker photography, you're not, but, um, you know, we, with video, it's, it's a little different. Sometimes it is needing to be more collaborative too, especially in the more standard sense where you need a, a guy who's doing lights and sound. And it's crazy that, you know, I'm trying to do a lot of that myself a lot <laughs> of the time, but that was one reason we always were just like, this is going to be a business that can, and it helps it potentially be scalable too. Um, it's impossible to let go of creative control a lot of the time, but you know, you open yourself up to being more collaborative by having kind of just like that LLC and just being the, the business that kind of operates in that way, even though we are, you know, just two individuals kind of doing our own thing. So I kind of, I do take pride in that, um, for sure. And remind me of the, the second part of the question. The second part was that you had a backup plan and infrastructure right. for getting all of your, you know, you can go back and find your stuff. Are you yeah. all hard drive? Are you cloud? Are you a mix? Yeah, it's a little bit of a mix. Um, but probably like 80, 90%, uh, hard, literal hard drive. Um, yeah, the guy who I was talking about, who's kind of like the mentor to this whole interest to me, still a good buddy of mine, Greg Folks. He oh. was always, yeah, you know, Greg. So Greg and I went to college together and he I didn't know was that. the first, he was the first one playing around with GoPros, literally at like the college rec pool. And so we were just being idiots, filming stuff for, you know, like summer videos. <laughs> and, uh, he was always like, um, really good at staying organized. And that, so it's like, that's kind of how I adapted to be like, yeah, that, that totally makes sense. And that's kind of how I operate in my everyday life. But I think it's unbelievably important, um, especially if you're doing it and, uh, clients are relying on you, you know, it's, barely ever happens. But when it does, I'm like still, you know, proud of that organization. A client from four years ago was like, Hey, I, I need, our business has changed. And these, this logo is no longer applicable. Like, do you have this video we made? And it's like, I barely remember this person's name, but like, I can go back to that month that the project was shot. And it's like, you know, you take pride and it's like, it makes you feel like you're operating like a legitimate business where you can go back. Everything's literally labeled, organized and, you know, for stock footage purposes, for helping clients out, whether, you know, it's long past the contractual obligations to do so. But yeah, I think it's unbelievably important. I think the biggest place that it shows up for us is communication. And that's 
basically what saves us every day from doing way more work than we should, from getting paid the amount that we think we deserve. And um, it's just the same thing with preparation and organization, all that. It's kind of boring to talk about, but it ends up being, you know, a lot more fun to run this type of business and you end up making a lot more money doing it. And that's fun also. Yeah. When people ask me kind of what my like day to day looks like, I try to impress upon them that usually one day a week is file organization Mm. is just making sure that everything's uploaded, everything's backed up, everything's in its place, everything, you know, everything's copied over to where it needs to be copied over to. And all that stuff takes time. You know, we for shooting right now, we're shooting just stills. Um, But when we're when we're up and running, obviously not in quarantine, but when we're up and running, I average something like 5000 photos a week. Right. And so what do you do with all that? Like, where does it all go? Right. That's a data management problem. And it takes me, you know, eight to 10 hours a week to manage that. Yeah, Uh, that's crazy. Yeah, I didn't even think about that because you're shooting just batches. That's that's, right. You have to. There's literally no other way to operate. If you don't, right. you can't find that stuff, you're, you're putting way more hours on yourself. Yeah. I mean, we, we literally had a client, uh, yeah, a couple of weeks ago. She was like, hey, you shot this stuff for me six years ago. You know, I need this photo. And I had it to her within 10 minutes. Yep. She was like, I, I, didn't, I never thought I would get A, an answer, B, that you would respond so quickly, and C, deliver it back to me that quick. Yeah. And it, it reminds me, I don't even know where I heard it the first time, but I believe it to be true just on experience. And it's a saying that goes, it's not the big that eat the small, it's the fast that eat the slow. I like that. I mean, that's 100% how we operate too. It's like, I love being the, the fast editor and, and like keeping the quality high, and whether it be photo or video, but being unbelievably fast at doing so. Like Like you said, being organized to recall something or... Just from, you know, start to finish, from going to shoot to post-processing of any type. It's If I could honestly charge a premium and it was like needed by clients to do like same day edits or like quick turnarounds, I totally would. Because I, <laughs> I think yeah. that's one of our fortes and it's like you can still keep a quality if you build a base and a foundation to, to do so. Whether it be like, you know, have the exact same process in starting any new video project and, and organizing and just literally obsessing over the shortcuts on my mouse too. I don't know if you can see them. <laughs> have like 20 buttons at my thumb to be like, that's another hour I can go do whatever I want because I like just kept it more efficient and that sort of thing. Yeah, I have a control panel for a hardware control panel for Lightroom that I have yep. m- macro set up for. Um, yeah. Yeah, just because, hey, I don't want to hold a mouse all day. Um, it feels <laughs> like it, it feels like I'm hitting a... Uh, like an old street fighter arcade. Like that's kind of the yeah, buttons yeah. that they have. And I just get to mash <laughs> on the buttons and it feels, it feels more fun. Um, yeah. Instead of having to like hold my mouse, hold my mouse, hold my mouse. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I don't know how much this happens in other industries, but like it's a cool problem to have. That's like my brain works faster for sure than, you know, any hands or physical oh, yeah. touch can operate. So the more you can like close that gap to actually do what might've been a fleeting thought, I think, I don't know. It's kind of weird philosophical, but I think it totally applies. It's like, there's just so many little creative nuances that are like hard to describe or, um, put into practice, but like ideas might come, you know, when you're in that video editing timeline and shortening that amount of time for where you have to 
go click on menus and sort of things and also give yourself carpal tunnel. It's like, <laughs> I, I, love, I eat that stuff up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I get it. I get it. So I love I love your business sense, and it's it's interesting to know that you have a degree in economics. That 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 makes a lot of sense as well. After talking to you, I didn't know that about you. Um, so once once quarantine's over, like, what are going to be some of your first actionable steps you're going to take? Yeah, great question. Well, first, let me make sure I do give credit where it's due. I do have an econ degree, and yet I don't run almost any parts of the actual business at this point. <laughs> my, my wife does, which again, I'm so fortunate for. She has a marketing degree, so I guess it's applicable, but it's almost ironic us hanging up our diplomas in this office because it's, you know, not what we're doing for the most part. I guess there's definitely some base level knowledge that, that gets applied, but, um, yeah. So post quarantine we're I mean, honestly, it's been, we've been really lucky to still stay pretty busy during and not have, um, the first two weeks, you know, for sure, everybody was kind of freaking out, wondering what the landscape would be, what the economy would be like. But once people kind of picked that back up, um, you know, there were a few pivots. Like I said, we're doing a, a ton of those virtual produced events, which we got lucky that, you know, we taught ourselves how to live stream on OBS so that we could, you know, offer services that we'd never offered before. And uh, the first one we did was, you know, like Ronald McDonald House Charity is a pretty reputable, you know, well-known name. And they loved it. They literally sent us the same email copied to like 12 other businesses. And uh, so we were really lucky that like, it's not glamorous. Um, I'm not like sharing on Instagram, like we did another live stream, like check this out. (laughs) If you want to watch a two hour production, but um, you know, so lucky to be able to make the business still operate so that, you know, I have time to create these, these passion projects here and there. So I think once people are figuring out, you know, what their business landscape looks like, I think we can get back to hustling for, for different types of brands that, you know, we really want to be a part of, you know, that major league baseball being one of them. Um, but I've been still, we've been pretty lucky to still keep creating with masks on and in small teams for brands that we do love, like Garrison brothers was one we've shot for a couple times and luckily their product is basically hand sanitizer. So you know, there's, <laughs> there's some, uh, some businesses that you can still be that are still operational and, and essential that we've been really c- trying to attack during this time. And we'll obviously like continue to do so once everyone's kind of allowed to operate back in a normal sense, but who knows what that will actually be. You know, this may be the disappearance of the high five and even the fist bump. So we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's funny that you said, you know, what you share versus what you get paid for. Yeah, it's, it's funny for me, like the things I share are usually the, the things I shoot for myself or maybe oh, yeah. like one highlight from a client shoot. But the things I do that actually get that pay me the most, I probably share the least. Like it's almost an inverse yeah. relationship between what I get paid to do and what I share. Like it's kind of yeah. a weird inverse. Oh, it totally is. And I think that's actually way more normal than people realize. But it's a weird conundrum and crossover because you're going to put all these hours possible into the thing you're not getting paid for, but you're absolutely loving the most. Like I probably had, man, I want to say like I sunk 60 hours into a, basically a tribute I made to my dad for his 60th birthday, which was literally looking at all of our home video footage, um, you know, from my birth to basically 15 years old. And, you know, of course I'm not getting paid a dollar off that, but it's like, I loved every second of, putting the hours in to teach myself new techniques that 
then there's that crossover. It's like, okay, it's sick. I learned to 3d animate photos. And it's like for any like type documentary type project, it's like, now I have the skill set to do that in no time when I'm actually getting paid for mm -hmm. a project. And if we don't usually charge hourly, but if we are, it's like that saves the client dollars that saves my sanity. And so I might not share whatever that end project may be that I did for them, but I'll share the one that I did as a passion project that actually, you know, gave me tools and skills to then perform on paid projects. So it is totally interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I find that interesting as well. Yeah. I, I, I try to stay to an 80, 20 rule in general, right? 80% mm -hmm. client work, 20% personal work. You know, I try to schedule out. So generally, like, personally, you know, two to four shoots a month for myself. Um, and then the rest of it's client work. Uh, what, you know, what do you do to schedule or what do you do for, for personal work? Yeah, it's, it, it's a variety. Um, you know, I find myself definitely feeling some anxiety if I haven't, you know, scratched that creative itch to do something that I like really love doing. Um, and it's something that kind of just <laughs> dawns on me after I have, mine are definitely not as planned out. And it seems that the years may are, I don't have like any per month or whatever. It just depends on what ideas that just randomly pop into my head while on runs and that sort of thing. So there's not really an organization, um, with it, you know, I have up on my goals, like create two passion projects this year. What else? Gift five meaningful videos or time donations to people I love. So it's like I have the long term. That's cool. Kind of kind of scheduled out. And yeah. that's just how I, I operate. I love having the like full year goals. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just in the downtime of finishing projects that are paid. And if there's something that I still want to learn, whether it be a technique or um, a story that I want to be, you know, want to tell, I'll just do that in the in that downtime, whatever you want to call it, where it's not um, deadlines for for paid projects. Yeah. Yeah. Wait till you have kids. You'll have to schedule things more than you think. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. Shout out to all the parents during quarantine. We are so lucky that we have no children and have, you know, all you parents that are also becoming their teachers. And oh, man, I, I have two boys. I have a, right now a six year old and a nine year old boy <laughs> and like doing their virtual. My wife is also a teacher. And so yeah. she was having to teach virtually and, you know, she did, you know, and we would take we would each take a kid and like try to get them to their lessons of the day. And then people are like, oh, well, let's go do these fun activities. Like, I don't want to do fun activities. I've been with these kids all day. Like, I'm <laughs> done with them. I'm done with them. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, know, I it, talk about downtime like it's so normal. It's for a lot of people listening. I'm sure kind of a foreign concept, but we're definitely um, don't take it for granted. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 hard for me. I see a lot of people creating more than I get to create. And it's frustra uh -huh. it's frustrating in one sense. But I think when I do get a chance to create, I go harder because it's rare. Um, actually, my business took off, honestly, right about the time my first son was born because I had to get serious. I had to I had to put more food on the table, quite literally. Um, and that the year he was born, like my business tripled. Yeah, that's which awesome. is counterintuitive. But apparently I'm, like it actually happens quite a bit. Um, yeah. I, ha I had to manage time more when you have too much time, you kind of don't realize it and you don't do as much. Totally agree. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's, that's true in, in any business or any, I mean, anything like that. It's like you got the essay due tomorrow in school and it's like, well, now you're going to do it. But you, right. the two weeks before, of course, it's like obviously procrastination is a big, big factor in it. But 
yeah, it's like giving yourself windows. You know, I talked to some friends that are like, man, I've been actually getting a routine in like established in this quarantine and we've been lucky to always work from home. Um, but they have all this time. So he's like, I've been meditating. I've been doing my workouts. And I was like, first couple of weeks, like I didn't do any of that. But when I have a you know, coffee shop meeting at 10, I got to do two hours of editing after that. Um, you know, I like to meditate. I kind of stopped, but had to get a workout in at the gym. And it's like, you're running all over town. It's like, I got so much more done with that style routine when it's like, if I have to be, if I need to do a workout, cause I do for my sanity, but I have all this stuff starting at 10, there's no other time. Like I'm going to get, I'm going to get up early. But when you have nothing else booked throughout the day, it's a lot harder to, I mean, a son is the, <laughs> is a way bigger <laughs> kind of time investment than any of those. But like, yeah, it's like when people are first taking the leap to do this as a full-time job too, if you have no fallback plan or no secondary income, when this isn't just a side thing, a lot of times it's like, you have to succeed. So you're gonna, you're going to put more into it. So yeah, totally there, agree with that. If there's no plan B, you, you sure as hell make plan A work. That's right. Yeah. 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 What you're saying about time management too. I always heard the phrase, if you want something done, ask a busy person to do it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Similar yeah. to the, if you want something d- done right, do it yourself. Right. All uh, these. Absolutely. absolutely. Man, we're getting r- real cliche here on making. I know. <laughs> I don't. I don't like being cliche. I, I'll say it. I'll say it the way I usually say it. For me, is I can either do a hundred percent or I can do zero percent. I have yeah. no idea how to do fifty percent. Oh man, I totally agree with that too. On on edits oh, I, that happens. To I me can all see the your time. work ethic. I understand you. But like, yeah. when I have like a thousand things to do, I get a thousand things done. When I have one yep. thing to do, I get zero things done. Yep. I know. It's so weird how that happens. But then, but just, yeah, just the. The amount of max effort too. It's like I always think about what if no one's seen your work before ever? And it's like I have these photos or video that like I just need to get done to them. And it's like no one's probably going to see it. But like if one person does that doesn't know who the heck we are, it's like it's got to be the best thing I've ever made. It's got to be the best. Sorry. It's got to be the best version that I can make of this thing. And it's yeah. like I obsess over that. And it's like you know, my wife makes so much fun of me. It's like, why are you, you know, adding all this extra flair and fluff and taking extra time to, you know, color grade every clip and that sort of thing. But it's like some there's, you know, you can only have one first impression and whether it's, you know, a boring corporate clip or a passion project, it's like you're putting in the same amount of effort. Oh, I, I a hundred percent agree with you because I've, I've had so many experiences in my life where, oh, you just talked about one, right? You did something for, for Ronald McDonald house and they sent you 12 clients or 12 referrals from it. Right. Right. Because you went a hundred percent, they, they appreciated that. And now other brands and other companies want you to go hundred percent for them too. Right. And if you had gone 80%, you might've gotten paid, but you might not have gotten another job out of it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You have no regrets. Even if things don't really work out perfectly, yeah. if you, you know, I mean, again, so cliche, but yeah, of course you have to go as hard as, as possible because you never know what, you know, positives can come from it. No, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I, I have a lot of friends, you know, photographers and whatnot that, that outsource their editing. Yeah. And, and I get it. And I understand that it can be an efficient use of time. I certainly understand it. But for me, they're only going to do what I tell them to do. They're never going to do anything more. Yep. And I shoot for editing. And yep. so uh, 
but that's also where I learn. Like, that's also where I see all my flaws is in the edit. And like, if you think about like iron getting melted down in the crucible to get rid of all the weaknesses, editing is that for me, right? (laughs) It's where I'm like, oh, that was a weakness. I should have done that better. Oh, that slider didn't work. You know, I need to get a better tripod because that's not as smooth as it should be. Or, you know, this light isn't producing the right color and I'm getting a cast. And like, that's, that's, that's where that feedback loop comes in. And yeah. for me, editing is such a, a visceral part of the process. I can't, I can't imagine letting go of that. Oh yeah. I'm totally that way. And that's why it's so hard to scale a creative business. I think it's like hard to let go of that, but also it's hard to, for us too to let people into the non fully finished, um, polished product. Just yeah. the idea of raw footage in general too, is one that gone so back and forth and it varies every every time too because it's like there's not many industries where people get to see you're like halfway um yeah you know halfway into your process and it's like a lot of times because you're shooting to edit there's a lot of nasty stuff in there that's like you don't need you know you want you don't want people to take the impression of your work when it's like very done for a very specific purpose so that's really yeah. interesting because yeah in the same way shoot to edit and people will i think will often hire us for the way that the speed and the you know style in which we edit so it's hard to to give that control to someone else it's 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 crazy yeah when you were talking about that it's hard to scale here's a strange analogy but i think it's true i love barbecue i grew <laughs> i grew up in like south central texas and like i just it's, i grew up on a cattle farm literally like barbecue is like i love it and i always tell people like name a great barbecue place that has more than one location Right. There's only one Franklin's. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's only, there's only one, uh, you know, Mueller's and Taylor. Right. And anytime I see those restaurants try to open more than one, the quality goes down. Yeah. Now that being said, it makes me amazed by Rudy's. Now Rudy's yeah. is Rudy's isn't a plus barbecue, but it's never worse than a B plus. Right. But they have like 30 locations and the quality and consistency I'm kind of amazed by. Mm-hmm. Because every other time I've seen a barbecue place try to open more than one location, it fails because it's a poor imitation of the original. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's very common with the types of businesses that we run. It's so idiosyncratic to what we do Yep. that I don't know quite how to scale it. No, for sure. I know that I can hire people to do my books. I know that I can hire a lawyer to help me out with stuff. And I know that I can hire, you know, support people to maybe help with scheduling or, or whatever else. But like the actual creative work, I don't know. I don't know how to make more of that. Like, yeah, it would be like telling a stand up comedian. Well, you can make you can make more money if you cloned yourself and you could perform in two cities on the same night. Right. You're like, you're like, yeah, but it's not. There's stories about me from me. I don't know how to make that come through somebody yeah. else's mouth and it's hard to transition if you are if people come to you for you even you know the small parts of like your personality and who you are not just as the creative in your finished product it's like you know it's not the same thing if you ask kevin hart to manage a group of other comedians but yet that's kind of what you would be doing that would be your role if you're trying to scale a larger video production company or you know photography studio um so it's, it's a totally different, you know, set of, um, you know, day-to-day tasks. And it's just like, I think 
that reason we love doing this is for that creative part as much as it is so many hours and can get, um, <laughs> you know, repetitive. Yeah. That's what we do. That's like, that's the part we also love. So it's like, it's, it's so hard to have someone else own that process and still call it yours. But yeah, there's no right answer. Yeah, I know. I, I think about it a lot, I try, a whole bunch. I mean, this is, I'm right. in your, I'm in your 12 of, of our business. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I kind of, I, sometimes I get stuck of like where to go, where to go from here. Right. right? That, that's kind of a question, right? Like, do, do I charge more and, and keep the same process or do, or do I try to expand by adding more photographers? Like, I don't, you know, I don't think I have a right answer for that one yet. Right. And there's a, there's a ceiling for any, uh, creative, I think whatever medium you're performing in, but like, We've been lucky to probably increase our prices and the quality of our work. I mean, I can definitely say the latter um, every year. And so there's obviously a ceiling for that. You know, I'm not going to be doing a 15 second Instagram cut for a million dollars. That'd be great. But there's obviously a standard that is kind of like acceptable. And I'm not going to be doing that for, sorry, as like a solo creative. Maybe, you know, Cheerios will spend way too much money with their agency to do so. But, um, yeah, you have to kind of prioritize what matters the most to you. Is it like doing a certain amount of work and having a lot of free time to go do whatever your other hobbies are, or is it making the most money possible? And so you are okay, like being more of a managerial role, um, in a creative company. There's so many different routes, but I think, yeah, I think every creative has to go through that and figure out like, where do you go from here? How do you get bigger? How do you, or just get better? And how do you basically do just the work you want to do and that you love and for the most money possible, right? So the, the great part is there's no outline and no path to really, that you have to follow rather. There's success stories, but it's all we can really go off of and kind of just creating your own path as like from screwing up and figuring it out like we were talking about earlier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I have one more question for you, which is what's, what's been your most effective marketing? Yeah, that's a great question. It's 100% the classic word of mouth. I think Yeah, we're pretty lucky that people do enjoy being around us and like our personalities. You know, we, I think we spend a lot of time like protecting the face of the business and making it us and approachable and likable and now I have a woman as part of my business, so that's attractive to people too. We're diverse. Um, no, I think it's really just connections. It's it's a really cool game to play, tracing back where you got your projects. And um, the one that I like to tell, if you have time for a real short story, is uh, we literally went to the park for a outdoor concert um, for Mike Posner, who was just an artist that I loved. Um, he made good music because he posted... I'm going on tour, self-funded in an RV. If you bring me snacks and I'm in your city, like tell me where to play, what public park, and I'll go. And so we were like, of course, let's go bring him some snacks. Kelly was doing a cookie baking business. She made some cookies. We showed up, had my camera, because of course, didn't go anywhere without it at that point. Um, Now I leave it at home. Shot some stuff. Turned out his videographer was sick that day. Um, He had buddies that went to school at Duke that lived in Austin, so they were like, of all things, it's just such a casual environment. He invited us to dinner afterwards. So it was like, you know, get to hang out with what, you know, was one of your, your idols. 
you know, fast forward, the guy that was playing guitar with him played at our wedding. Um, and I got, you know, hired to make a music video for Mike, you know, a year or two down the road and, you know, can call him a friend now just because we made the decision to show up to a free show in the park um, <laughs> with, cookies. with cookies, even though he only wanted organic snacks, um, you know, <laughs> and it worked out. And so he's referred us to a lot of even the project I was just telling you about that I'm working on now. Um, this incredible poet is his network. And so it's like being likable at the park. He didn't even see anything we made yet. I ended up sending him, you know, a few clips. And then I ended up including that in like a proposal video I made for my wife and keeping in touch, I think is, and just the networking, I hate calling it networking because it's just like being friendly, but like that overall is like the best marketing possible. And we've been lucky to almost never run paid ads for what we do on and really have to work on SEO too much because if you do great work and are likable and meet like connectors in your community, I can probably, I think I can literally name four or five humans names that are responsible for the majority of our projects ever. Um, and so I owe a ton to them, but that's just what they love to do too. It's just their, their connectors and hopefully we do work that, you know, lives up to that referral. Yeah. I can, I can trace 25% of my business to one organization. Yeah. So, it's crazy, right? Everybody yeah. has that one or those couple. Yeah. And one of the staples of this show and the staples of my business is, is a very short phrase, uh, which is your network is your net worth. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I fully, fully, yeah, I fully, fully believe in that. Like yeah. the people who know you at, for what you do mm -hmm. determines how, how much you can do and how much you can charge for it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 100%. Yeah. It's, it's that, awesome, that's a, man. that's a great story about just like being likable and just like it, not being like, I don't know for like a lot of our fun shoots, we'll try out techniques with like models or we'll teach classes with models. Yeah. And uh, they always refer to, they're like, man, you're, you're so different. I'm like, how that, they're like, you're not a creep. I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just a guy, like I'm, a, you know, married with kids. Like I'm just a dude, but apparently that can be a rare thing. And I'm always kind of surprised by it. Um, yeah. I don't know. So yeah. Right. I, it I, just I, seems I, normal to you, but right. I guess maybe that's not the standard, but yeah, yeah, I think that goes a long way. It's like, if you're like, yeah, people want to be around you. It's like, it's so much more important. Like you see people that, you know, Oh, I got to work with Nike or with all these big brands. You're like, their work's not the best of their kind that I've seen, but it's like, it's who they know. And, and it's like, honestly, sometimes their personality more than the physical work you're putting out. So it's like, it has to be to a, a certain standard for sure. It has to right. be good, right. but it's, I think it's way more important of that network. Oh, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No. After a certain point, only other filmmakers will notice what you're doing. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. It's the same thing we were talking about earlier. It's like you're creating for other creators. <laughs> right. <laughs> but showing up early, yeah. deli delivering your deliverables on time and doing it all with a smile on your face, that that's going to pay way more dividends than learning that one more technique. Yeah. 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 100%. Yeah. It just comes with practice. I mean, you, yeah, there's no scientific answer to any of that. Right. It's just like, it's just getting out and doing it and practicing it and, and owning yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love this. This is great. No, I, I, I think it's important. I, I have a lot of things that I, I kind of say over and over, but hearing you say them and without me even prompting, A, it validates things I've been doing for, for my own business. But I think it's mm -hmm. good, right? The whole point of a podcast like this 
is I want the people listening to be able to grow in their business. Yeah. And if, if they hear the success and they hear the things that are actually matter, I, I think that's important. Like, I think as a photographer, we don't talk about the business side near enough. We talk Correct. about, we talk about clamshell lighting or broad lighting or Rembrandt lighting a whole lot. We talk about mm-hmm. rule of thirds and compositional tips a whole lot. And very rarely, and I'll, you know, people will send each other their raw files so they can edit on them, but they never send them their QuickBook file. Mm-hmm. Right. We keep, we, we hoard that knowledge of success, but we, we, we don't share what, what got us into that point. Right. Right. Um, and so the stories can be glamorous, but, but that, uh, kind of like all encompassing is not very glamorous. So it's like, it's obviously shared a lot less, but we essentially, the business guide basically is what we wrote. That's like incredibly boring topics, but it's like exactly that. It's like what people mostly aren't talking about because it's hard to, um, but it's also hard to make attractive at the same time too. But yeah, it's incredibly important. Like we were talking about, it's often more important than the actual creative work. Yeah. No, nobody wants to hear me talk about how I manage files eight hours a day. I know. For, yeah, right. A day a week. Like that's not exciting. That's not going to get anybody to sign up for right. a workshop here. Watch right. me drag folders around. Yeah. 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 Until but, they need to do it though. Right. Right. Yeah. But it's arguably right. more important than a lot of other things that they're spending time on. Yeah. No, hundred percent. What I was actually curious, I meant to ask, what was your, uh, if you were willing to share your client that, that's responsible for 25%. Oh, so yeah, I always no. like those stories. Yeah. So, uh, you probably know them actually, which is rogue running. Um, oh yeah. That's where yeah. we met. Yeah. So I started running with rogue in 2006, um, started taking photos for them in 2007, um, and have been their official photographer since, um, and the, the, the takeaway that I have from that is that they were there, you know, it was at any time, you know, a couple hundred people in that group, but in that group, I was the photographer and I don't have to be the best photographer in the world. I just had to be the one they knew in that group. And I had to be the best in that group, but I didn't have to be the best in the world. And right. I think that takes a little bit of the burden off of people in the sense of, we think that we have to compare ourselves to people that are operating maybe on like a national international level. And you really don't, you need a hundred people who know who you are Yep. doing the thing that, that you do. I would say, Hey, do you have a car guy, right? When your car breaks down, who do you call? Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm people's camera guy. Yeah. Hey, Hey Josh, I'm looking to buy a new camera or I need something done with a camera or whatever. I'm their camera guy. Right. And for, you know, to start out my business for about a hundred people that knew me at rogue, I was, I was that person. Yeah, what's interesting is from there, they all worked other places, right? So the people in that group worked other places. So they started hiring me. One of them is the Blanton Museum of Art. And so from there, there was two people that were in membership at Blanton that were also in Rogue. They saw me at Rogue, wanted to hire me at Blanton. And now I've been shooting for the Blanton for for 11 years. And so that kind of stuff just snowballed, right? And then people at Blanton moved. And now two of them are at um, Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center. And so like, it, you know, I always delivered good stuff on time. I always showed up with a smile. I always said yes. And yep. by, by having that, you know, it just, uh, that word of mouth just follows you. Totally. Yeah. But yeah, Rogue, I, I attribute Rogue 20 to 25% of my business. I can trace back to them in some way. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know. It's, it's so interesting how similar that, that story is. It's, it's crazy. But we, we always talk about that too. It's just staying top of mind is just like a big part of our business too. It's like, we don't necessarily make a reel every year, but we essentially just make a thank you video just mm. to stay top of mind. One, to honestly say thank you to everyone who paid us money because, wow, again, I'm still blown away. We're just making videos for fun. But um, just like a 60 second with people's logos and just to like the brands can see what other brands we've worked with and just saying thanks. One, this kind of gives us a reel to like look back and realize what we did. But just, you know, first week of January, people are figuring out budgets and whatever they do. It's just like, oh, yeah, we worked on that project in February of the year prior. Yep. And what do you know? It like it literally turns into like actually we're going to have this project coming up, this project coming up. And even though we already hired you, we like, now you're on the top of our mind. You're that guy. You're the photographer. You're the yep. videographer that then gets the job just from, again, just being friendly and saying, hi, going coffee shop meetings when you're allowed to be face to face and that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy how powerful that is. No, it's, it's an underrated part, right? I think it's an absolutely underrated thing to spend your time doing. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, Zach, is there anything else you want to add today? Is there any other place you want to send people to go look at your stuff or? Yeah, I don't think so. If you're not familiar, yeah. Just come say hi on double Z productions and yeah, whatever sort of platform you want to check us out on. We're only on a few, you know, the Instagram, Vimeo website, that sort of thing. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Was that, Thanks was for having that, me, man. Oh, thank you so much. It was, it was a great conversation. I, I really, I really applaud the not seriousness, but like how dedicated you are to both the business and the craft. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I'm incredibly sarcastic and a big joker. So for <laughs> you to say that is also very meaningful. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. All right, guys. Well, this yeah. has been episode eight of the make, make, make podcast. Uh, you can follow us on Spotify and iTunes now as well. Uh, hopefully this should be up here in the next week or so. Um, also, if y'all want to support what we're doing with all of this, uh, patreon.com slash Azul Ox, uh, A-Z-U-L-O-X. Um, and I'll post all the show links to all of, um, uh, there'll be links in the bottom for all of uh, Zach's stuff. So y'all can go check them out on all his platforms. So again, thank y'all for your time listening and uh, we'll talk to y'all soon.